You are listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. I am your host, Mike Petchy. This is my show. Welcome. Come on in. Have a seat. Uh, if you are a newcomer to the show, thanks for being here, man. Maybe uh, maybe we pulled you in with uh, In Love With The Process. Maybe we pulled you in with Right Place, Right Time, our other show that uh, drops on Thursdays. We have two shows on our RSS feed. We have uh, In Love With The Process, which I get deep into rants, into holes, into the conversations that you've always wanted to have with filmmakers, with actors, with chefs. It's like we're hanging out together, having beers and talking. That's In Love With The Process. Our other show is uh, co-hosted by me and my my good buddy, actor Lance A. Williams, uh, and the two of us dig deep into that old saying, you got to be at the right place at the right time. Uh, and uh, we talk to guests, read stories about right, right place, right time events. We sort of try to crack them open a bit and understand a bit more about it. Like, was it actually just some act of God lightning strike here? Or was it, was there preparation involved? Like, how did this, how did this work out? Because we hear it all the time, man. I happened to be in the right place at the right time, and I was riding an elevator with this with this guy, and suddenly I got the apartment of my life. Or I uh, was hanging out at a Metallica show, and someone randomly walked over and gave me backstage passes to hang out with Metallica. Or um, I was in a restaurant and uh, trying to get uh, sugar for my coffee and rub shoulders with this huge fucking actor that we became instant friends and suddenly my movie's greenlit. Like, it, it seems like, especially in the entertainment business, everything hinges on being at the right place, right time. And so that show digs deep into it. Thanks, everybody. And if you are... Uh, curious about any of these things, if you're a newcomer and you want to listen to all these episodes, or if you want to have your In Love With The Process experience curated, go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. I've separated everything up by subject material, so if you want to listen to director's episodes or actor episodes, all that stuff is there. Now, on top of all this work, and it's a lot of fucking work, right? Uh, you know me. I am also a director. I'm a filmmaker. I make movies. That's what I do. Um, if you guys uh, have noticed, I did an update last week. Uh, yes, my new movie is going to be released. My latest film is going to be released to fans of this show. So if you are in love with the process, super fan, if you've signed up to be a super fan, if you went through the process of sending me your three favorite horror movies and uh, to watch 12KM and you signed up that way, you will be getting an email from me in the next week or so uh, with a link to see who's there. My uh, second film, second proof of concept film. And not only do you get to watch the film, but you also get access to a very special podcast that talks in detail about how the film was made, how it was conceived, the whole process of that, and what's going on with the feature version of it, et cetera, et cetera. So it's very exciting. And because you're fans of the show, I and you've been with me since the beginning, uh, and you are a super fan, and you've signed up to be a super fan, which you can do at alovewiththeprocess.com, um, <clears throat> because of that, you're getting access to this stuff. Now, the normies, <laughs> the people that aren't in the club yet, they're going to have to jump through hoops to get their hands on the Who's There link. And by that, I mean they're going to have to DM me their three favorite demonic horror movies. 
What are your three favorite movies that have a, either a devil or a demon as the bad guy, a possession that happens in it, or some sort of uh, demonic force, some sort of demonic creature that is sentient and uh, goes out of its way to make your life miserable? <clears throat> Send me your three favorite demonic horror movies. And even if you are in the Superfans Club and you want to play along, do it. Uh, I love doing this, man. I get to meet new people and... I get a lot of really great movie recommendations that I hadn't seen, which is strange because I've seen almost everything. So um, exciting stuff. So your boy, he's a director. He makes movies. Uh, I love doing shows about directing. And I love having other directors on the show because when you're a director, it's, it's kind of a lonely job, right? And you're not often like hanging out with other directors while they work. You're not learning from other directors while they work. Most of us are trying to figure out how to do this craft by like reading books and watching behind the scenes clips and listening to commentaries and like uh, begging people and convincing people and lying about how much experience we have to do things to get on set to trial by fire our way through this career. That's how most of this works. And the benefit of this podcast, the reason why I do this show and spend so much fucking time away from doing everything else is that I get access. I get to talk to these folks and make friends with other directors and we get to share our war stories together. And today's episode is one of those episodes. Uh, it's no holds barred, like all pretenses dropped and we talk real about what it's like to direct a movie, about what it's like to co-direct films, about what it's like to work with big name actors and help reinvent their image or work with the image that they currently come to set with, whether it's through their personal life experiences or their prior roles, and make that work for your film. Ian and Esham Nelms are here today. They've been on the show before. The Nelms brothers have been here with uh, their other film, Fat Man, which if you guys haven't seen that film, Mel Gibson plays Santa Claus in that movie. And it's so good. It's a great fucking movie. I love these guys. I love their style. Uh, that last episode. What number is that fucking episode? <clears throat> Let's take a look. I want to figure out what that episode number is while we're talking here. But when they were on the show, we got real deep into how they work with Mel. And uh, like after the show, the guys and I hung out. We went out and had tacos and beers. And we've stayed in touch for quite some time. And... The thing that blew my mind and the thing that I was surprised by is I randomly got a fucking email um, from uh, a publicist and they were like, hey, do you want to have the Nelms Brothers on? I'm like, yeah, I've had them on. Why? What's going on? Oh, shit. They did a whole new movie. And I had no idea. They shot a film. I think it was during COVID. Uh, and they released this film. Um, and it's called Red Right Hand. Uh, and it, it's the casting is wild in it. Orlando Bloom is in it. And Orlando Bloom plays a role that you haven't seen him in before. Uh, we're not talking like Peter Jackson's elven, you know, heartthrob. We're talking like a down and dirty, violent man. Um, and uh, uh, his nemesis, the bad guy in the film, is played by the amazing and the wonderful Andy McDowell. Now, I know you're like, Andy McDowell? Who's Andy McDowell? All right, let's go back in time and look at her movies because I've been a fan of her since she was in Multiplicity. Remember Multiplicity? Her and Michael Keaton? <laughs> I like pizza. I love that fucking movie. And she played his wife in that movie and she was so charming and so sweet. And then uh, she was also in Groundhog Day opposite legendary Bill Murray, right? 
She's great in that movie. Uh, she was also in Hudson Hawk with Bruce Willis. Bunny Ball Ball is my favorite line from that movie. Uh, so she's always played, in my mind, she's always played sort of like these sweet, sort of grounded, uh, sort of grounding the crazy character in the movie roles. And in this movie, in Red Right Hand, she plays completely the opposite. She plays a pretty intense, pretty violent person. Um, and it's cool. It's very cool. So I'm excited to get into it with the Nelms brothers uh, on today's episode. And um, yeah, are you pumped too? I hope so. I was, look, I was delaying because I was trying to find the episode number that they were on for Fat Man. Hold on, I'm going to dig a little bit deeper here. Older posts. Directing, directing, directing. What is the episode number? Man, I have to find it. We've had so many episodes at this point. I'll find it. I'll put it in the description of this episode so that you guys can also listen to the Fat Man episode and get the most out of the Nelms. Um, but before we get started, thank you everybody for following me on Instagram at Mike Petchy and following the podcast at In Love With The Process Pod. That's In Love With The Process P-O-D on Instagram. That is the place to go if you're going to send me your three favorite movies. That is the place to go for updates on what's happening with what the work that we're doing. We're doing a lot of exciting work lately. A lot of stuff I'm not allowed to talk about, but a lot of really exciting work on the horizon. Um, and uh, that is the place to go to engage with me. If you like the show, if you have suggestions for guests, that is where you go and write to me on the, on the Instagram, on the Instagrams. All right. So uh, without further ado, let's get into it because this is a great conversation. Strap in for directors on directors on directors talking about what we do on the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. How are you? Man, so uh, amazing to be back here. Mike, we're so thrilled. 
do we it. We are honored to be on here, Mike, with you, fellow filmmaker. Let's do it. Yeah, man. I was uh, look. Uh, you, you, for those of you listening, uh, the guys have already been on this show before. We talked about Fat Man, which I fucking love that movie. I just watched it again uh, for Christmas this year. I love the work you guys do. Um, and then we've hung out after. Like uh, we're buds. And and I was surprised, honestly. I was like, I got an email from uh, your PR folks, and I was like, Oh, the guy's got a new fucking thing going. <laughs> like, it was <laughs> it was definitely a surprise. And and uh, I got to see it. They sent me a screener. Awesome. Uh, the new movie, Red Right Hand, and you guys got to work with another legend, uh, Orlando <laughs> Orlando Bloom. Uh, so lots of questions for you, fellas. Excellent, excellent. So uh, what what's what's going on, man? What's new? Do you like? Did you guys just finish this fucking thing? Are you guys exhausted? Are you guys still doing shit? Like what, what's what's happening with the movie? Um, it's it's been done for a little bit now, a couple months. Yeah, there were strikes. This, with with the strikes, they had. Uh, the distributor wanted to wait, and so that the talent could be available. Roger, yeah. Roger. Yeah, yeah. but we've, we've uh, obviously been been working, keeping busy, getting a bunch of irons in the oven um, to to launch with uh, something else right after this. But yeah, we're we're ready to rock, man. We're super excited to get this out to the world. Uh, you know how these things go. Every one of them is like a two year process, yeah. and this one was no exception. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. It was it's crazy. So. When did you guys shoot? When did you guys shoot this fucking thing? Was, was it like right after COVID? Was it during COVID? Like when did you guys? Get it into was the in the thick of COVID. We got the, the thick of it. yeah, we got the joy of shooting during COVID. Um, <laughs> presented some challenges, holy balls, some trials and tribulations, but we overcame. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like trying to convey your emotion behind some fucking face mask and shield <laughs> to you your know, talent and crew. It's, it, yeah, it's it's like uh, it's insane, right? To try to come up and talk to an actor or, or a fellow collaborator in any department, and you're like sitting there. And you're like uh, you know you're like only your eyes it's weird man it's such a because we'd never done it this was the first thing we'd done during covid and uh man it was a different experience and i gotta say i'm so glad it's in the rearview mirror because it is it's so impersonal yeah right you walk up to someone you just look at him and go did i suck did i suck what does this look mean <laughs> was the performance right what does this mean oh you're great i'm smiling under here hold on i'll infect you with my smile <laughs> yeah no it's 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 a, it's a it's a nutty process man and it is dude like when you get in there you know how it is like you're working with actors. It's very, it's very intimate, right? You're yeah. in there, you're talking to them. It's personal. Um, yep. And it just feels like that there's a huge, obviously there is a huge barrier between you now. And there was just like a bunch of, you know, like the, the process of it wasn't great either. Right. Like, I mean, and I, and I mean the way that it was, it had to be applicated. Right. Yeah. So like you, you have, everyone's wearing masks all day while you're shooting, you know, which is, you know, not fun. Yep. So everyone's wearing masks all day, except the actors. And then when everyone goes to lunch, everyone can unmask and you're sitting right next to everybody chewing and eating and talking. And for some reason, you know, when you're chewing food, you can't, you can't pass COVID to each other. So that, 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 <laughs> it was just, the rules were just bizarre there, you know, and, and of course, you know, we're, we're all testing when anything would happen, you know, we'd shut down or we'd, we'd take a break or that person had to step out, make sure they didn't affect anybody. And I think those rules were, were good. I think those worked really well, but just the other policing of it was, was, yeah. fr was frustrating and, and confusing at times. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's I'm ha I'm kind of happy that we're kind of getting through all this shit. I mean, even though COVID still fucking like I just got over COVID. I got COVID two weeks ago, and that was after we did a big production. We just shot a bunch of shit for the Emmys, so we like uh, oh wow, we got, got to shoot like Harrison Ford and shit. It was wild, dude, amazing. It was, no, it was brilliant. It was wild. Love it. Yeah, and uh, the, the aftermath of that, I think it was because we went out. <laughs> I think it was because the crew and I went out and had a bunch of beers and and. Uh, then I got hit with it. And that, uh, this is the first time I was hit with it since it, it initiated 
or since it started and it sucked like it knocked me on my ass i'm still coughing from it but it wasn't like you know we weren't dropping dead so like it's good that yeah it's good that we're kind of getting past that shit and we're getting into the whole this is like a hard flu kind of movie. yeah i think that's it i think it's the natural progression obviously of it and um i'm glad to be here glad to be on the other side of it making movies i yeah. uh, can't wait for the next one uh in a little more production experience yeah. uh, you know that but now we've got AI, so let's go. What, what's that? <laughs> oh yeah, we're going. Our, we're the, what are we like? Fucking three minutes in, we're already jumping into the AI conversation. <laughs> yeah, we, I can, mean, we just got our mind uh, dazzled by the Sora thing or whatever it was. Sure. Okay. Yep. 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 You're talking to someone that has been pl- messing around with this stuff for a while now, whether it's Mid Journey or, or the whole ordeal. But you know, I. Hmm. I still feel like it's still based upon, even though they're like, you know, it's not really based upon, we flag whether or not people are writing in Michael Bay, you know, but it's still, you still know that it's referencing something that previously exists. So, sure, I, you know, well, it'd be interesting to see. My, my yeah, whole, like how they work out all that, like licensing, right? Yeah. Because it, you're right, it's, it's gleaning information from something. So like, I know uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt did like a site, like a collaborative art site. Yeah. Um, I think it's still going on. Hitrecord.com. I think it's still going on. And I contributed some pieces to that. And, dude, I would get, like, checks because my work was being used in, like, these weird, uh, you know, unique art projects that were amalgam of everybody's work. And I'm like, wow, that's kind of cool. Like, pretty respectful, you know? Yeah. Yeah, dude, that's the way it should be, you know? And, like, you... You look at this stuff and you you forget that most of these things are just, like, super advanced Google searches that are are referencing all these, uh, you know, keywords and tags. And then... You know, sort of examining the ones and zeros and putting it all back together. Um, Like, I got real frustrated because I was trying to do, you know, there was a period of time where everybody was like, this is going to be the shit. This is a great way to do sizzle reels. This is a great way to do, like, promo stuff for your movies. And so I was like, all right, cool. Let me get into it. And then I started to really try to get into it and dial in, like, style and vibe, you know? And it it was fucking frustrating. It was just like... Oh, so all this is going to be is like weird pushes in of people standing outside. <laughs> like, is this, yeah. is, is this, There's no style sliders yeah. yet. <laughs> yeah, dude. It's just like, I, I mean, I still use mid journey for building uh, treatments and boards and stuff because it's better than doing a Google search or like an image still grab from a movie somewhere. But um, it, it, it's still got a long way to go. I think, you know, yeah, for sure. I mean, like, like it's, it's interesting because I heard someone today, uh, Marquise Brown, saying, like, this is the worst it's going to get. And I'm like, wow, that's, you know, that's a good place to start where it's at for them. Sure. sure. It's the worst it's going to get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, what, what's going to happen is, I hope what will happen is, is that this will enable us as directors to be able to do, like, very expensive um like uh establishing effect shots you know what i mean where we can go like oh we want to put our actor into you know facing a fucking tidal wave and then we can sort of use this ai stuff to do shots like that that's my hope with it is that i think think you're 100 percent correct i mean we were just thinking about like some of the earlier stuff we made when we couldn't you know get the drone operators and stuff like that i'm like wow what a great tool that would have been to be like yo we need a coastal line with people walking down the beach bang done Yeah, yep. inserts done. done. You know, pickups yeah. done. The, the thing that would cost a few thousand dollars finished. Got it. But it is a, a unique way to work, right? Because then you would, because you have so little control. If you're just going to use the technology as it is, right? You have so little control on what it spits Ugh. out. You almost have to back into what it gives you. Yeah. 
if you want to do it that way. hundred right? percent. And then when you start to really get into the nitty gritty, which a lot of people aren't talking about, and I'm fully happy to talk about you start getting into the nitty gritty. It is like a fucking slot machine in Vegas where you just sort of load in some numbers and you fucking, you know, and then they charge you for it. So like a lot of these different uh, companies are like, hey, cool. You could do it three times for free. But if you do it six times, it costs you fucking thirty nine ninety five. And then you're like, well, I have to do this 24 times in order for it to even make sure that the hands look right on this person. And so then yeah. you're paying every time you pull that fucking slot machine on this stuff, you know? Yeah. No, totally. Look, man, it's exciting. It's interesting, man. I just read uh, Path to Paradise, that Francis Ford Coppola Zoetrope oh, book. Oh, cool. Um, and it talks book. about like Francis's dream film tool is the black box, right? <laughs> Where anybody can speak into it or type into it or whatever, and it spits out a movie essentially. And, and, and you could do it in snippets or whatever. And man, we're just I'm like, holy smokes, we're getting closer and closer to that black They're box. They're trying, man. They're trying. They're trying. Yeah, I, I try to be open to it, man. I try to be there. And I- but I think that, and I think the reason I'm being so aggressive towards it is that a lot of our, our listeners on the show, a lot of my fans are always like, fuck AI and it's going to kill our jobs. It's like, no, dude, there's still human beings involved and you still are have a point of view and humans are tuning into people with points of view. And, uh, you know, if the algorithm world and the streaming algorithm world has taught us anything, if we rely on that then all we're going to get is like cheeseburger, cheeseburger, cheeseburger. <laughs> That's all we're getting yeah. out of it. Yeah. Well, man, like there's such a magic that happens in the collaborative nature of cinema. Mm-hmm. It's it's all these human beings coming together to make something. And that's where, for us, the exciting part is. That amalgam, that blend, it, that's where the exciting part is. Dude, I completely agree with you guys. You know, there's this... This is piece as a as a as a director where I'll sit down at my desk and I'm sure you guys do the same thing. You'll sit down either with your computer or notepad and you'll sit there and go, All right, there's a guy that runs through and shoots people. You know, and I write this thing out. I don't run around and shoot people every day. What the fuck do I know about that? And so I know that if I did exactly what I wrote on that notepad, it would be completely one-dimensional, completely false. And I, I'm relying on working with uh, gun handlers and uh, talking with folks that actually do these sort of things, letting all that influence really round out the story and add that dimension that it needs, you know? Totally, right? It's like, it is, right? It's your armor, right? That, that tells you how to handle the gun and where to do it. And then it's your stunt crew and then it's you and it's the actor. It's like such a creative endeavor for everybody, collaborative to the to the fullest extent. I love it, man. I love it. And you guys have such an interesting collaborative relationship. Like co-directing in general is always an interesting sort of language that, that you guys have to figure out ahead of time. And I'm sure, does it help that you guys are brothers on this deal? Is that what makes it easier? <laughs> I, I think it's made, whether we were uh, would be brothers or not, I mean, obviously that helps, but I mean, the, I think just how long we've known each other, you know, like mm-hmm. since our entire lives. So it's just like, you know, the the entire process for me, I'm the little brother. So is the entire process of, of having an older brother, someone to look at and he's doing things and I'm trying to catch up to him in the beginning. And then we're doing things together and we're forging our tastes together when we're, when we're sitting and watching movies. Cause you know, we lived in a, we lived in a, on a, on a horse ranch kind of in the middle of nowhere in like a 3,500 person town. Hmm. And the four way stop had a video rental stop uh, shop and we would go down there and just rent the place dry. And it would just be Eshman and I on the weekends with a box of donuts. You know, we'd do a bunch of chores, but then we would we would <laughs> we would sit with a box of donuts and watch six to eight movies sometimes over the weekend, um, and sometimes go back for more. Um, but yeah, it was just it was it would at, at that do, when you're doing that with a certain with a the same person week after week after week after week year after year after year decade after decade you're you're 
you start to understand not only each other, but like what you like, what, what each other are liking about certain things yeah. and why you both like them. And yeah. yeah, it just synthesized everything for us. Yeah, right. Because then you guys are building a language, which is really interesting. And then when you would, because I, when I started in my career, I was co-directing music videos for a long time. And it, in the beginning, we had to sort of set, um, almost set like specific duties for each other. And we knew that like that person would pick up the slack for this and that person would pick up the slack for that. Is it the same kind of thing with you guys? Are you guys splitting duties? Are you guys crossing the streams all the time? And if you are doing so, does that get confusing for your talent and your actors and stuff? I do think as, as we've gone along here, um, we've become utterly and completely codependent on one another in this process. Um, that we each, we each have strengths, you know, we each do, you know, we each have our weaknesses and, uh, and we like to think that we complement each other in a, in a nice way. Yeah. I just think, however, that each of our weaknesses have gotten stronger, uh, because, you know, the other one's dragging us through it, um, at times. And then, yeah. Cause I mean, you know, there's, there's working together. You want to, you want to, you, you think of yourself of like, okay, we're going to split these jobs up, but it's, it, Sometimes you do that, but like Esh is a professional storyboard artist, so I can't draw anywhere near as well as he can. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't jump in and try to, to board. You know, you should, you should start doing it. <laughs> he always tries to tell me I should. And once in a while, I'll do my little stick drawings. I mean, like, look, hey, it's, look at Scorsese's board. Something like this. Yeah, something like done. this, and then he'll actually draw it with perspective, and you're like, yo, this, yours was a fucking waste of time. But <laughs> he's, he's so good at it. Yeah, he's so good at it. It would take me decades to to achieve wh- where he's at, the level he's at. So it's just it's it's useless for me to sit down and start really trying to draw like that. Yeah. Uh, for me, anyway, I'd rather spend my time writing. I'd rather spend my time doing other things that that I love. You know, uh, I don't love drawing. Yeah. <laughs> he loves drawing. He will spend time outside of work drawing and just drawing. And he has notebooks and notebooks and notebooks full of drawing. Whereas I'm like, I will spend time outside of working with each other writing. Yeah. I will. I like writing. I like it. I like it a lot. So yeah, there's, but, but then, uh, you know, on the, on the, like on the, on the actor side of it, there's, you know, it's, it's every which way, you know, when we get in there, like sometimes I have a vision for something and I'm sitting there talking to the actor for a while. Ash has a vision. He's sitting there talking for a while. The only thing that gets a little lopsided is him at times, uh, walking the actor through the boards. Mm. And it's not necessarily that I don't understand the boards because we were, when we were very early on starting, like we did our first $1,500 movie, Ash had all these storyboards and I didn't understand them the first day as well as I should have. And he just did everything. He was kind of just running the show. And I was like, I'm never going to fucking let that happen again. Like I got to get my shit together. I don't know what's happening. So, you know, every day after that, I've, I've had my shit together and known what we were doing. And that's, that's literally what we do, especially on the boarding process. Like we'll talk it out. He'll go bored. And I'll just keep asking him questions and talking to him about it. And he'll just walk me all the way through it. And, and I'll, and we'll, I'll suggest some shots. He'll put those down for me. It's, it's fun. And then when we get on set, man, we are just fucking lock and step on everything. Yeah. So that like, like, as we've said before, if one of us gets hit by a bus, you know, you're, you're in good hands. So <laughs> hopefully that doesn't happen. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> I sympathize on the board. I love boarding. I've been drawing and I do all my own storyboards as well. And the, that process for me is, is like an early version of, of directing. Uh, exactly. Because then you can yeah. sort of go through, you start to see it. And then you're also like pre-editing too, which is really nice. And you're sort of getting the value or understanding the value of certain setups and understanding what is useful, and what's not useful. And you're uh, then at that point, better planning out your day as far as like, you know, scheduling and how much shit you can do. Um, 
and I find that that whole process is incredibly helpful for preparation uh, for everything, blocking the whole fucking ordeal. Um, you guys, yeah, and it doesn't necessarily stay that way all the time. Exactly. Like you get an actor or somebody in there that that finds brilliance, and you're just like, yeah, let's lean into that. Fucking awesome! I need another shot. I need this. I need that. Let's go back to the wild. Let's come in on this shot or whatever. You know, you start thinking of creative ways to cover that. Obviously, so it changes, and that's what you want. You want, I think, that additive, yeah. right? So when we head into it, we definitely head into it with the blueprint, you know, idea of what we're what we're putting down. Um, and yeah, usually, you know, when it's when it's going wonderfully, when it's going wonderfully, you know, things are things are advancing and changing. It's like a good documentary, you know. You start out with a a, a, a thesis or a, a an idea of what it's going to be about. And by the end of it, it's got a nice little flipperoo at the end of it, you know. And you're like, oh god, wow, this scene really came together and had a, had some great you know additives by everybody. Yeah, 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 yeah. My joke always is like, I usually put all my storyboards up on the wall when we're on set and I'm like, all right, these are here if we're hungover. <laughs> like if we're hungover today, <laughs> just do the fucking well, wall. Mike, you're a tremendous artist too, man. I've seen you're you. You're a great artist. I got a shirt with one of your oh, uh, thanks, boards guys, on thanks. it. That's what I was, Fantastic. I was fishing for compliments, fellas. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, what are you, man? I'll give them. What are you? Thanks, fellas. Um, but no, I mean like, um, I think in general, uh, the, the, the whole process of doing that is just preparation, preparation. I think you guys are, are definitely on the right path when you say, it, if you are prepped, it just opens you for all of these nuances that I find to be the most special fucking thing. And at the end of the, at the, end of the day when I'm filmmaking, it's all about <laughs> that fear when I know I'm going to be yeah. in the edit room and I'm like, how many clips were in that fucking bin? Like how many clips did we get that day? Shit. You know, and, and the hope that you're getting enough coverage and you're getting enough special uh, moments in that coverage to, you know, build out really memorable scenes and sequences, you know, you know, it's weird. I have like one reoccurring set nightmare <laughs> that happens to me quite frequently. And it's always that I show up on set and I'm not prepared. <laughs> yeah. It's so bizarre. And I'm like, I'm sitting there on set in the dream. And I'm like, how did this happen? Like, I can't believe I did this. Like, I like how am I showed up without any preparation? I don't know what to do. And then I wake up and I'm like, oh, thank God. <laughs> I, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's great stories about Spielberg. Um, I can't remember where I read them or heard them, but that he doesn't like to board at all. And that he sort of just- We like, did. He and then to, he stopped right, after right. the duel. And he likes to just go in and see it and feel it and get it down with the actors and, and then translate to the- cinematographer as they're sitting there talking about it with the actors. And I think that I could totally do that, but there's something nice about having a template there to start with. And then you hear about, you know, Hitchcock who just boarded everything and was bored <laughs> with the could execution. Have, could have taken a yeah. fucking nap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. You know, and what's interesting about Spielberg though, I, I feel like, cause he came from TV, right? He was doing Columbo and shit. So he was doing, yeah. You know, how do I get the coverage on one dolly thing, and 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 how do I make the day by getting as much as I can in this dolly movement from close up to wide to master all in one movement, and then you see him using those skills in the language that is Steven Spielberg and everything that he's done fucking since, where he comes into a room and he goes, yeah. put a dolly on a track here, and then go this way, and then walking in the bup, 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 and gets all the blocking and coverage instantly in that stuff. Uh, he's yeah. a different monster, man, and I, especially. I mean, he's been doing it so fucking long. It's like being a young filmmaker uh, and then convincing uh, some, someone to give you money and then being on a timed set, right? You, where you're like, I would like to shoot this in 24 days. And they go, well, you have 
12 fucking days. And like, like yeah. walking onto a set and wasting any fucking time with like, how am I feeling today? You know what I mean? Like, it's just, I feel like I'm going to have less clips in that edit bin if I do that. <laughs> I, and, but you know what? That's what the greats get the luxury of, right? Yeah. Like, I was, we were talking about like uh, Scorsese's Killers of a Flower Moon, right? Like, <laughs> They were shooting for like what seven months or something like that. Two hundred million dollars. They had like a five-hour cut. You're just like, what? Yeah, we knew some actors that were in it, and they were just like, we're like, oh hey, what are you doing? They're like, oh, I'm still on Scorsese. We're like, holy shit, how long have you been there? They're like, yeah, we've been here for a few months now, and I've I've got a really small I've got a small role. They've so had me easy. shoot like twice this month, and I've been here every day. And I'm like, that's holy incredible. Shit, yeah. Like meanwhile, you know, we're like, are these skittles being used? Let's get those off the crafting table. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're, not, we're not refilling. Yeah, those. yeah. It's it's wild, man. When you would, and I mean, there's a world in which I would love to be there, right? I'm sure you guys would love to be there, but then there's also a world where I feel like that's super fucking scary too, where it's just like they're, they're the, the borderless, the borderless creative process for me is just as scary as like not having enough time, you know? Yeah, I, I think you're right. There is. There does there's something comes from parameters. The the path becomes clearer. Yeah, yeah and I will right. say, like, look, I think. You know, I don't know how it's operated now, but I know a lot of these folks that go over and they get a lot of creative freedom at some of these streamers, right? Because they just want to get in business with these legends. Yeah. I don't know if the films are as sharp as when they were working under the studio in the sort of stricter, harsher, like really distillation like process, I right? Agree. I, don't I know. agree, dude. I definitely agree with that. It's interesting. There is this yin and yang that really seems to, to make really good content. And then there's sort of this bloated, you know, thing that happens without it yeah for sure for sure well <clears throat> when you and i have chatted when we've all gotten together and chatted we talked about like getting movies off the ground and producing movies and putting things together and sort of keeping your eyes on how movies are made and you know what's going on behind the scenes with producers and trying to keep track of everything and you guys have been doing indie stuff for a while now and it like this new piece uh which is excited and, and fun still feels very indie um is it is I mean, and this is like what your third big feature at this point. Is this number three for you guys? Yeah, I think. So. I mean, it's you know the third of the bigger ones. Yeah, yeah right. So you have yeah. Small Town Crime, Fat Man, and now Red yes. Right Hand. Yeah, there's kind of a, there's kind of a separation, right? Like our first two movies are like no, no, a fifteen hundred dollar movie and a five thousand dollar movie, and then we made a jump to a two hundred thousand dollar movie and an eight hundred thousand dollar movie, and then from there we went to just under ten, just under ten. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And so <clears throat> how has it changed for you? Do you guys still feel like you're rolling your sleeves up and getting your hands just as dirty on these movies as you were on the ones before you got into the million dollar, or like close to the $10 million range? Or are you finally able to sort of step back a bit and just more focus on directing? No, we're, we're getting dirtier. <laughs> yeah, I think it's getting dirtier. I think, I think, well, I mean, if you look at like just the difference between, um, you know, as far as how much action was in fat man and how much action was in this movie, you know what I mean? Like we were really trying to push ourselves in this movie as far as, you know, ticking it up a notch as far as how, like how complicated, like how complicated the sequences were, mm -hmm. how much stuff we were trying to intermingle. Um, you know, like we were really trying to push as much as we could. Yeah. I mean, whatever you get, you always are like, okay, let's make this look like 40 million. If you have 10, let's make this, you know, sure. if you're just always playing that game and you're always going to push it no matter what you do. So, I mean, Ian and I are masochists like that, right? There was definitely <laughs> like, Hey, you know what guys, if you, if you, if you take this out and this out and, and you can make your lives a lot easier and we're like, yeah, but it's not a better movie. 
So we're going to push to make the best movie we absolutely can, no matter what. And then there's like a ton of times, right, on, on especially with a movie like this, where, where you've got a lot of these little sequences and, and then the bigger one at the end. You've got, we just had times where we'll schedule it, right? And like say, okay, we're going to spend two nights on this sequence. And then at the end of the day, they're like, you have four hours to get that. <laughs> You're like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> wait a minute. But that that's like a filmmaking story is the longest yeah, time. And it's it really just what is. it is. And, yeah. and that's really what we've, we've come to learn is like, oh, wow, it doesn't change. Nothing changes. Yeah. Just It's just like, what's the problem going to be today? Okay. How do we overcome it? Great. Got it. You know, and like, how, and how good are your collaborators this time around? Because, you know, and how much can you pull off in that small amount of time? Yeah. I mean, this, yeah. you know, Kentucky's amazing, and but it's, it's also got really temperamental weather, yeah. right? Yeah. So you're getting shut down for tornadoes and lightning and thunderstorms. Uh, and that's, you know, obviously having a ripple effect through your schedule and stuff like that. But it's like, okay, well, you know, we have uh, our, our schedule ninja looking at it and, you know, reading the lines like a beautiful mind and getting us, getting us out of this trouble, you know, out of these deep water. <laughs> yeah, man. <clears throat> it's interesting. Right. And I like getting nitty gritty with this. If you guys want to go down in this path with me, but the, uh, I think the, the myth for a lot of young filmmakers is, is that the more money you get, the, the, the less, the more it changes and the less like hands in that you have to be with all the other tasks and stuff. And I have found it to be, Quite the opposite. I, I, I found that it doesn't matter really what the fucking budget is. I'm, it's still the same goddamn job. It's, I'm still doing the same job that I would do for $5,000 in my, in my fucking garage out back. When I'm on a larger gig, I just have more support behind me doing that stuff. But I still have my hands in everything where I'm just like, what's the line budget for this fucking thing? Like I'm still putting my fingers yeah. in everything because I, I, I feel like it's necessary as a director, especially an indie director. You guys feel the same way? Well, that, and that's also your creative process, right? Like ours. Yeah. Like Ian and I love to be heavily involved in everything, right? I mean, we could hire a storyboard artist, make our lives easier, right? Like, okay, well, I don't have to you know, get up at 3 a.m. any morning, every day, every morning. But not that's not our shots. process for making movies. Like, we... We really enjoy like mapping that out and figuring that yeah. out. We don't want to, you know, someone could just drop the boards off at our, our door in the morning and on our way to set, we flip through them, you know, that's <laughs> definitely a version. It's not the way we do it. Yeah. I'd kill myself if that was my version. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think it's just our process is very hands-on. Um, we like to be involved in it as much as we can, yeah. right? Obviously we have immensely talented collaborators that far eclipse us in, in departments. So we're going to lean on them yeah. to do that. Right. But, you know, we just love to get in there and create with everybody. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're right, man. It's all about like what your process is. It really is. Um, super cool, man. So you guys shot this where? Down in Kentucky? Is that where you guys were shooting? Yeah, we went down to Louisville and shot Louisville, it. Kentucky. Uh, we went all up and down uh, the, the Bourbon Trail. So like we shot this specifically in Knob Creek. A lot of this stuff is in Knob Creek, which is the old bootlegger runs, uh -huh. you know, around in there in the haulers. Uh -huh. It was pretty cool. That was pretty great. Just to know that history as we were running around there right like oh yeah this has got like a legendary sort yeah, and of like lane. a lot of the roads that are like one lane still have those like knob creek and like you know yeah. now there's giant breweries with those names but those those names of those breweries and those streets are literally were probably dirt roads you know a hundred years ago and people were plowing down them in 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 hand-built yeah. home race cars yeah, you so know? cool i mean that's that's the origin of nascar right isn't that where nascar came yeah. from yeah Exactly. I can't wait for that series to come out. They're absolutely going to be doing one soon, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why it's not already. <laughs> yeah, it's super cool, man. Like that whole bootlegging and that that innovation and then, then the fucking violence that surrounded that and like all that is rad, man. Cool, cool. I mean, it just precursor the 
the drug war, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just, it just reinvents itself under dis- different sort of circumstances. Every, yeah. You know, every couple of generations. Oh, this is what it is. Now this is what it is now. You know? Yeah. 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 And it feels like you guys were tapping into a lot of that inspiration with this film and with the violence in this film and sort of like how it all works and how it all plays out. Um, and, uh, Oh, by the way, uh, fascinating casting. You know, uh, uh, Annie McDowell in this is like I never. She's you know from she's from fucking multiplicity. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, we can dig into that, man. Let's dig into this casting because honestly, it's it's it went so hand in hand with our engagement with the script and our excitement about the story. It was like, who are we going to get to play these roles, right? And so, Andy, absolutely. To have her come in, play a queen pin, like something we none of us had really seen. <laughs> Never. Um, yeah. and, and and I, you know, I'd be lying if I was going to say like, like she was she was on our list initially. But I'm the one that I was like, man, we've never seen her do anything like this. Like, I honestly think we're spinning our wheels if we go to her. She's just not going to do it. Yeah. And then we we lucked out in that you know like a lot of these scripts uh, get to agencies and start getting passed around and agent and, and Andy's agent got a hold of it and really enjoyed it and, and said, I think Andy might enjoy this and unbeknownst to us, passed it to her and she read it and then reached out to us and was like, Hey, I know you haven't seen me do anything like this, but I, I could do this. I have it in me. That's cool. man. Yeah. I remember her. Yeah. I remember her telling us like, you know, yeah, I could do this. I have this in me. Just ask my kids. Yeah. Yeah. Friday nights, I, we, I Friday I, nights, we tie someone to a chair. <laughs> I can't tell you this either. Like, this is strange. Like I actually just recently, um, we had a young actor come and work on the set with us. And she was telling me, she was like, Hey, you know, I actually saw Andy McDowell in your screening of small town crime when it was playing in Silver Lake, mm. like when it released that, that little, you know, like that small theater release. And I'm like, that's crazy. Cause I remember Andy telling us like, Oh, I've seen your films. Wild. You know, I've seen your films and I really enjoy them. That's one of the reasons I was really excited to do this. Yeah. Not, not just the role, but she'd actually seen our film. Wow. She was pumped. That's, that's yeah, cool to get outside really- confirmation. Cause you feel like you hear that in, in, in Hollywood a lot. Like your work's really great. And you're like, yeah, but have you fucking watched it though? <laughs> <You know what laughs> <I mean? laughs> that's great that you got that outside confirmation on it. <laughs> Yeah, and, and then so uh, once we had Andy, then well, obviously uh, Andy Andy came second, but the first person we had was Orlando, and uh, and then we had sat down with Orlando after Small Town Crime, mm-hmm. and had a great like couple hour conversation with him, just getting to know him as a human, and and honestly, what we saw in him in that conversation really transcended the roles we had seen him do previously. Mm-hmm. We were just like, oh wow, he's he's really got a lot of gears, and he's hungry to do something different. And so when this, when Red Right Hand landed on our desk and the character of Cash was obviously in there, we're like, wow, this would be really exciting if we got someone like Orlando to come out and do something that no one had ever seen him do before. That's cool, man. That's cool. And so, did you guys write this or did the script come in and you guys rewrote it? Like how the, how the, how the thing work? So we got, we got the script from Thunder Road and we'd had a previous relationship with them. We'd been working on a couple of projects with them that hadn't got, that hadn't gone the distance yet. Yeah. Um, and they sent us a couple, they were sending us scripts to say, Hey, do you guys want to, do you guys want to direct this? Do you want to direct this? And, um, it was projects they'd picked up and were, and were, were trying to, to, to match up. So we, we passed on a couple of scripts and then this one landed on our desk and we were just like the characters and the world and the setting. And we grew up in a, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a small town in a small community in, in, the, in central California. Yeah. And it spoke to us, man. Like we grew up on a horse ranch, so we know horses and cows quite well. Um, and this spoke to us in, in just the family dynamic and the and the you know the plight. It was 
it was pretty fantastic. Um, and it was, it was unlike any other thriller like it that we'd read that we, that we, that we'd seen because I loved the structure of it. I loved how he, you, you get to know this family and then she starts to try to reel him back in. And then you spend quite a bit of time with cash with her henchmen. You know what I mean? Running around with them. And it it was such a cool dynamic. And I started when I was reading it for the first time thinking, oh, okay, I know what this movie is now. It goes this way, you know, and I see how this is going to kind of pan out. And then it took a left turn. And I'm like, oh, that's not what's happening. And they took another left turn. I'm like, oh, okay, interesting. This is where we're heading. You know, and then by the end, I was, you know, shocked again. So um, there was there was a bit of 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 a refinement that we did and a polish that we did with Jonathan. And obviously, like, We'll shout this from the rooftops. Like Jonathan Easley is is one of the best collaborators we've ever had in the script development process. Mm. I mean, the guy just knocked it out of the park. He attacked. Uh, we had first of all great conversations in the idea mill phase where we were just spitballing, and then his execution and his effort in that execution was tremendous. That's and we're writers. I mean, we get it because sometimes you you write something, you're married to it, you love it, you're excited about it, and then somebody comes in and says, Hey, we're going to change this, this, and this, and this. And you're like, what the fuck? But, (laughs) and, and and we've done, we've done writing, we've done writing processes with other writers and at times, and they wanted to do the pass on it. We're like, we totally get it. And, and we get it. You know, they weren't, their heart wasn't in our notes, you know, (laughs) which I get. And they, they would kind of pass it back to you and be like, is this what you wanted? You know, sure, (laughs) sure. You read it and you're like, well, you know, you changed that, but like the three or four things that happened down river are all fucked up now. And like, that doesn't make any sense. So I get it. My note wasn't like perfect, but you know, you gotta, you gotta, and, and that's what Jonathan did. We'd give him a note. We'd talk it through. He'd understand what we were hoping for, aiming for. He'd go do his pass on it and then realize while he was doing his pass, like, oh, this fucks up something earlier. This fucks up thing, right. something later. Let me get in here and try to fix this and make this work as best as possible. And then he'd pass it back to us and we're like, oh, dude, you fixed all the shit up and down river. Awesome. He's all, yeah, well, fucked it all up. So I figured if this is going to work, I had to fucking really get down and do it. And we're like, dude, amazing. Yes. Not everybody does that, Jonathan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Like the guy that I work with all the time, Will Simmons, a great screenwriter. He and we've been through multiple rewrites on all these movies, like, you know, 12. I've, I've been with him on 12 rewrites on a fucking movie. And just wow. listening to him a digest uh, fucking studio notes, <laughs> listening to him digest studio <laughs> yeah, notes, yeah. which normally come in and it's just like, eh, you know, what if we, uh, what if the character is now, you know, a mailman, you know, and you're, you're <laughs> and you can just see him go like, this is a fucking page one rewrite with how it affects everything that's happening. Okay, great, great, great. Um, and the speed and the, <laughs> the efficiency that he does that stuff, I, I say to him all the time whenever we work together, I'm like, I feel I feel bad for you, dude, because it's, you're like, you do all this hard work, breaking story, breaking character, like creating these worlds, and then you deliver it <laughs> to like this... Like, to this room of folks that are just like forget all that energy that went into it and they're just like hmm what if uh you know what if this happens at night out the whole fucking time you know and you're just like well that was that's one of the things right i mean when you're making movies that's one of the things where you're trying to figure out like sometimes you get great notes yeah. right you get some great notes and you're like oh fuck great that's a great that's a great idea that's that, that fixes this you know that i was that i was having trouble with or whatever you know i, I was kind of soft on that anyway and now I, now i think that'll sew it up that's a fucking great yeah. note um but then at times like you said you get the mailman note 
and you start wondering. Can we make that a thing? I think it is. <laughs> you start wondering if these are the people you should be collaborating with. And I mean, we had that kind of process with Fat Man, and luckily we found a home uh, with Nadine DeBarros over at Fortitude, where she was like, "I fucking love what you guys are doing here. Like, let's make let's make your movie. Let's make this version." Because of this movie. we certainly had. 20 other, not kidding, like 20 other fucking people that wanted to make it, but had notes. And had the mailman them, notes. Some of them were mailman <laughs> notes and some of them were just great notes that we were able to scoop up along the way. But some of them, a lot of them were fucking mailman notes where they're like, let's turn this into Dutch. Remember that movie Dutch? Yeah, we're fucking dude. Ed O'Neill's with the kid. Like, let's get the kid on the road trip. We're like, and the whole movie's the road trip. We're like, that sounds like fucking Dutch. We're not making Dutch. Yeah, dude. We already made that movie. Like, we're making this movie, yeah, you know, yeah. this movie has its own fucking things. Well, so yeah, there's, and, and you, you just got to weigh that, right? Like how much of that shit do you want to take? How, you, do you make it somewhere yeah. else? As you, soon as it crosses the line where it's no longer your film, you got to yeah. check out. Yeah. yeah. And it takes a while to learn that. Like when I started getting into the position where I was pitching things or I had things that were in development and they were sort of going, when I first got in, I was like, I made the assumption, right? You sit there and you go, well, these people have done all these movies, you know? And you sort of look at them and go, yeah. they kind of know more than I do. And then you go through this like five fucking rewrite in fucking process and you're like, you don't know more than me. Like, oh my God, man, like this is completely off the fucking rails. And what is fascinating about this format, which is film as opposed to TV, TV is different, but film is the director's medium. Still, you still have that, that fucking submarine captain that is going to go, I need to see the vision before I tell everybody to get into this boat with holes in it and then go out into the ocean. I need to, <laughs> to see this fucking thing. And you, I find that the notes that I give writers or the, the, the good notes that a director gives a writer is, is trying to explain to them, like, this is how, when I read it, this is what I was drawn to. I was drawn to this theme. I was drawn to this thing here. And I see it in my head. And that thing is painting the... Th- the theme, the tone of the entire movie in my head. So understand that that is incredibly important to my vision of this film. So save my fucking ass, please, and go backwards through the script and make sure that everything is lining up with that vision because everything that I make beyond this point, my my boards, my treatments, my pitches to the actors, my fucking begging to the fucking money people are all based upon this obsession that I have with this one thematic thing. You know what I mean? Yep, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then so like, I guess like it's just to extrapolate out into some of the cast. Of the cast, I mean, man, we had some real, uh, real people we were ex- really excited to work with on this one. We had Scott Hayes, yep. uh, who we really admire his work, and uh, where I remember when we <laughs> sat down with him, he's one of those guys where you get on the Zoom and he's like, "So I've only read it five times," and we're like, <laughs> "Oh man!" And he's like pitching you so many characters, he's already like so deep in it. Uh, you're just like, "Yep." That's the guy, you know. Yeah, Garrett Dillahunt was another one of our favorite. I mean, for us, he's one of the he's one of the great character actors, you know, of our time. Looks like a, he's like a Sam Rockwell, Walton Goggins so type good. for us. Um, and we were so excited. To, we were so excited to have him on this, um, especially in that capacity where he gets to sort of play, you know, this character that you're not you're not wholly sure about what his motivations are, or what side of the fence he's going to land on in the beginning. Um, yeah, there's Mo McCray was another guy we were introduced to on this one um, who yeah. plays the sheriff deputy. He was fantastic. We got finally got to work with Brian Garrity, another one of our like favorite uh, actors that, we, that we've seen in a ton of stuff that a, a couple of our friends have worked with that we were dying to work with. Yeah. Um, we got to discover Chapel Oaks, which is exciting. Oaks, the young girl. Yeah, she she it was her first thing she'd ever done, um, which was fucking amazing. 
because uh, we actually had some pretty prominent actors in that age group that were vying for it, that we were doing these Zoom meetings with, multiple Zoom meetings with and talking to and and considering. And then she just leapt to the top of the pile and it was her first thing, man. She was out of, I think, Atlanta or something yeah. like that, right in the Atlanta area. And then, uh, you know, hopefully if anyone's familiar with our work, you're going to see some familiar faces uh, checkered throughout. You know, we have some of our, a lot of our longtime collaborator, uh, collaborators in there. Jeremy Rashford, <laughs> James Lafferty. Tom Fajetti. You got some. You got some of our classic uh, people. We just love to work with. All right, gangs. Time to take a hot second to talk about our sponsors, and our sponsor reads are getting bloated again. We're back up. The deals are coming through. Um, so I'm very excited, as always, to talk about the men and women that support me. Um, and most importantly, let's talk about the people that have been here since the beginning. Let's talk about the company that financed who's there. Let's talk about the company that sponsored that film, right? Let's talk about Puget Systems. I found Puget Systems because I was so upset with the state of my edit machine and how it was working out. I was upset with how Apple was treating us. The sort of disregard and disrespect every time there was a software upgrade that changed how the uh, the hardware was gonna work with it. It was just driving me crazy. And I needed to find an alternative. And I was like, it's time to build a PC. And I didn't wanna build it on my own. So I did the, I did the hunt and I found Puget Systems. They're an amazing family-owned company here on the West Coast, and they build some of the best edit machines out there. And what's so great about them is that they're not actually manufacturing hardware, so they don't have a warehouse full of shit that they're trying to peddle off on you. They are helping you construct computers uh, based upon the very highly competitive uh, hardware marketplace that's out there, so they know the prices of all this stuff. They benchmark all this, benchmark test all this stuff. They know what works with versions, certain versions of software. Um, and so, if you go to PugetSystems.com, you can build a computer based upon the software that you know you're going to use, or you can reach out to them. They love to build custom machines for everybody, so you can reach out to them and say, "Hey guys, this is what I'm thinking. I want to build a machine that's going to run sweet games, but also is going to have a really good." Premiere setup and also has a good resolve setup. What is the hardware configuration for that? And they'll tell you. It's awesome, dude. It's great. So instead of you having to go out into this scary ocean and marketplace to build your own PC and randomly pick up motherboards and all these different things and plug them in together and you're like, why is it not fucking working? You know, these guys test everything. PugetSystems.com cannot say enough good things about those guys. I loved you guys. Uh, also supporting the show are friends at Black Magic Design. Black Magic, man. I know a lot of you are directors. A lot of you out there have Black Magic cameras. You guys have a 6K Pro. I have that new 6K large format camera, which I love. Um, and uh, uh, we use Resolve all the time for color grading. We use Resolve for all sorts of stuff. I am slowly making the transition to it for editing. I'm trying to dip my toes into it because everybody is. Bip, 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 bip. I think the most interesting part about it is that in the same program, I have my timeline and that high-end color grading. That's the most intriguing draw for me. But I know that they have all sorts of really interesting stuff like new AI uh, plugins, new AI um, uh codes where they help you sort of sync stuff and sort through stuff and log stuff it's it's pretty interesting stuff it really is stuff 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 
Uh, so if you are into it, check out Black Magic Design. All the links for our sponsors are in the description of today's episode, or you can find them on today's episode page at alovewiththeprocess.com. The links are trackable and traceable. So if you want to support the show and you don't have any cash and you can't donate money, just click the fucking links, man, because it tells our sponsors that you're listening, right? Uh, also supporting the show are friends over at Boca Rentals. Uh, I say this all the time. Make friends with your local rental company. And if you're in Los Angeles, Boca Rentals is the company that we use. They have offices here, two different offices here in LA. I think they're just opening up uh, Eastside LA uh, warehouse. And then they also have a spot in Las Vegas, believe it or not. So uh, Boca Rentals is the place to go for any of your camera support needs. These guys also have such a crazy inventory of some of the best lenses out there. So any of those really great anamorphics, any of those really interesting bokeh sort of, uh, you know, uh, using the fins to create those really strange bokehs in the back of your stuff, like the lenses used for shooting Batman or fucking the series you on, uh, on, uh, uh, Netflix, or if you're in the market for a snorri cam, they're the only West coast authorized, uh, rental dealer of Snorri Cam, which is the camera that you strap to your body. Um, all that stuff is at Boca. I can't say enough great things about these guys. I'm excited to have them as a sponsor back on the show. Um, so support them. Check them out, BocaRentals.com, or check them out on Instagram at Boca Rentals. And I think that is it. We got some other sponsors that will be showing up soon. But uh, in the meantime, don't forget, LoveOfTheProcess.com, the place to go for everything we do. All right, back to the show. I love that, man. It, it, to hear you guys be so nerdy and so giggly about uh, these character actors and these supporting actors... I, I, I'm in the same way, man. I feel like some of my favorite moments in movies um, are with all like these fucking great, like the Peter Storm airs, like all these fucking great supporting actors that when they show up, they, they come in for a day or two days or three days and they fucking steal everything. They, and it, it's such a, whenever I talk to actors on the show, they're all, you know, the, your first initial thing is like, Hey, I want to be the lead. I want to be the guy that carries the movie. I want to be the guy that. I want to be fucking Tom Cruise, you know, I want to do that shit. And I'm like, man, the the world of a supporting uh, character actor is awesome, dude, because you don't have to carry the film. You don't have to do You can show up and do some crazy fun shit and then walk off the film and do multiple films a year. Uh, they're the true heroes, I think, of uh, acting in cinema, you know? You there's, know, there's how, just how many, how many skins they get to wear too, right? I mean, that's one of the fun things about working with somebody multiple times as well. Like we love like just throwing Ratchford and Lafferty and Tom into these fucking craziest, into the craziest roles that we haven't, we haven't even seen them do, but we, we know they can do, or we think they would love to see their version of that, you mm -hmm. know? And, and the, and the depth of your ensemble really is so critical to a film. Yeah. If, if, you know, if it's only your two leads and then it sort of falls off after that, it's, it's man, you just don't have a well-rounded film experience. No, completely, man. I, I, I I just got nerdy, so I, I fell back down into a Tony Scott hole recently, and I've been, like, fucking deep in Tony Scott's movies, and I just watched 
I hadn't seen it in a long time, but his movie Unstoppable, the one with the train with Denzel Washington. Yeah, Denzel, yeah. And the fucking supporting cast and all these really, he was so good at, at, at making these like completely identifiable blue collar characters around everybody. And I just, and you just see all these actors and I, like, I'm just, I've been trying to get them all on the podcast. <laughs> like I just wanted to no, do like, a awesome. whole podcast series of just all these supporting actors that really are the best moments in these movies for me, you know? Brilliant. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. We, I mean, we were just having sort of a movie night the other night um, with, with Jeremy Ratchford. He's very much like that. Like, he's like, oh, look at this guy from Magnum Force. And he's in, you know, Towering Inferno and here and here and here. And we're like, oh, man, like his depth and knowledge on that is, is so eclipses ours. But it was great for him to sort of geek out and, uh, and hear all those wonderful yeah. details about these character actors that we honestly were like in the dark. of. Obviously, it's a different era, right? Sure. Like, I'm not sure. that dialed into the 70s, uh, you know every catalog film from the seventies and yeah, that's his era. <laughs> but you know, I try to be, <laughs> I try to be because yeah. some I mean, of my look, favorite a- stuff is from that time period, but it really is, you know, and you see those character actors sort of walk through and you're just like, you were the, you were the fucking police chief and bullet. Oh, fuck. Yeah, man. You know, it's like, yeah. oh, so cool, man. So cool. And they just are, I find that when you work with those folks, they're a lot more approachable. They're a lot more like down to get dirty and uh, they're just fun to be around, you know. Fuck. And I think, I think to your point, that's exactly why they keep getting invited to so many sets, right? They're they're great collaborators. They're fun to be around. That experience of the like, like the two days they're coming on set, you're like, I can't wait for them to get here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's wild, man. I, I'm I'm going to be vague about it, but recent projects that I've done where I've worked with some of the the biggest of the big, and then you see them, and you see how sort of like. You know, they've done this a fucking million times. They're really not tuned into it anymore. They've already been, they've already had their moment. They've already had their hero moment. And they're kind of like just there. And you're just, it's a kind of a fucking bum out. And then you see. It feels like work. Yeah. 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 And then you see these like supporting characters that come in or these actors that are coming up and they're just fucking amped and they're pumped and they're way, they're like, they're putting everything into it. Those are the heroes, I feel like, in general. But I I feel like that's. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. And sometimes you can't do it. But like, it's also that tone's also set, hopefully by the director and they get you can get them amped up, right? You can galvanize them and pull them into the project and find that excitement for them again. Yeah, or uh, they It's can, not always possible, but a lot of the times. Or they can reinvent themselves and, yeah. and get a role. Because I do think that that's exciting. You see an actor doing something for so long or is playing a certain type for so long and then they switch gears, you know, and you're just like, holy shit, I didn't know that person could even do that. Like, yeah, amazing, yeah, you yeah. know, when, when they pull it off, it's fucking stellar. Yeah, I mean, you guys have done that twice. Well, I mean, you guys have done that a bunch of times. Like, you know, uh, fucking Mel Gibson, you know, playing, playing fucking Santa Claus, <laughs> you know, and then just, because we talked about this on the other episode you guys were on, like, just your love, you guys have the same love I do for a specific type of Mel Gibson and a specific type of, of action movie and all that stuff and the homage that you played to it, but sort of the reinvention and the uh, understanding of where Mel is in, in that moment of his life and how all that plays into how he's playing Santa Claus was just fucking genius, man. It's like, you guys do a really good job yeah. at that. We feel complete, incredibly fortunate and blessed to have worked with him when we did work with him at the time we worked with him. Cause I mean, we, I, I don't know if we said this part of it though. Like we actually went out to him in 2008 to be in Fat Man because we wrote that script in like 05. I think we had the first version wow. of it. And we did multiple rewrites along the way. But in 08, we went out and tried, we had producers, like some cool, some good producers on it and we were excited to try to get it going. 
Um, and they went to Icon and couldn't get a read. I don't even think they got a read out of Icon. You know what I mean? They just couldn't. It was so much was happening. So much was going on. They just couldn't. The timing was fucking terrible. We just couldn't even get a read out of them. And then when we saw him at that Hacksaw screening, mm-hmm. you know, a decade later, mm-hmm. um, maybe over a decade later, but about a decade later, he had, he had, he had become even more of the character. You know what I mean? Like needing his beard and like how hard the shoot was. And we just saw all these little idiosyncratic things he was doing. Um, that I don't know if I, he was doing a decade before, you know, just the man that he'd become over that decade was even more of the man we wanted, you know, yeah, as far as yeah. uh, the, the hardships character. he's been through and the character and the hardships that character had been through. Yeah. 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 And Mel, I mean, <clears throat> you know, we all fell in love with him, Mad Max, right? And then he came and yeah. did, you know, Lethal Weapon and he was like, you know, crazy rigs and Lethal Weapon. And then he sort of skyrocketed and, and he became sort of a hot throb, like a heartthrob for women and also in action movies and ransom and everything else that he was doing in the interim in there. And that kind of stuff just became sort of like the Hollywood Mel, you know what I mean? And then he became this director that was Academy award winning and freedom and all the shit that happened in the interim. And then he went through all that personal shit that he had to deal with. And then the backlash of that and the aftermath of that really textured him in such a fucking cool way, as far as like, not just physically in his face and, and his beard and all that sort of stress texturing him as a character, but then the the sort of humbleness that he seemed to have at the back end of that and sort of the gratefulness. It just felt like when I watched him in your movie, it, it felt like he was grateful to be there and to be on that film and to be in that whole process, you know? Well, I, I, we didn't know him before, but we had such a wonderful experience working with him on the film. He was nothing but a professional and, and a, you know, a diehard for the work that we were doing. I, I think we told the story before, but it, we literally had four shooting days that were under negative 32 degrees <laughs> um, outside. And he stayed outside the entire time. And when we talked to him about it later, he was just talking about how you've got to be out there with your crew because, you know, that's those are the guys that are out there a thousand percent. They can't go to the warming tent. They can't go get a hot chocolate when they want to. <laughs> they, can't, they can't even take a piss or a shit when they want to half the time because they got to have this up. They got to have this going. Got to get that done. And those guys don't get a break. So he's like, so I don't take a break either, even when I'm acting. You know, like I'm out here with you. And we were like, yeah, dude, awesome. Yeah, yeah that's how we roll. And I do think, like Mike, you're absolutely on point. Like we were just talking about. Look, sometimes you want to break the public persona. Yep. But there's also like what that character carries in. And I think like Garrett carries a certain persona yeah. in, right? Like you don't know what side of the fence that guy's going to land on. <laughs> Cause he's played so well on, on both sides at times, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah. So that like in a, in a one way on like uh, Orlando and Andy, we were going for the disruptor effect. And then on Garrett, we were like, Oh, we really love the baggage he's coming with because you don't know where, what the dice are going to roll on that. Yeah. Guy. Yeah. Yeah. Super cool, man. And then, you know, speaking of Orlando, like, sort of overcoming what his breakout was, right? Where he was like the the super attractive, like, you know, heartthrob poster, you know, elven warrior working with Peter Jackson um, and like trying to sort of break that and make him into like this really rough, gruff, uh, almost like a, you know, a comic book character to a certain extent, uh, like a real dark Sin City, like Frank Miller kind of guy. Um 
I thought you guys did a really good job with that. What was the process with that for you? Was this a big conversation that you were having with him? Like, we're trying to change this tone, and that, and did that play into him learning an accent and like speaking differently? I think it just started with 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 obviously we read the script, thought of it for it, passed it to him, said you know, and then we text him. We just said, dude, this script. It, we couldn't be more excited to have you in this role because it's nothing that you've ever done before. We've never even seen you like this before. And if you're down to take this on, like I, we think it could be incredibly exciting. And I think him, he understood the script really well. He understood this, the characters really well. And when we started, when we were just talking to him after he'd read the script, just talking to him about doing it, he was getting just really amped about just diving into that character and reinventing, not necessarily reinventing himself, but just, Giving, I think, everybody something they'd never seen before. Yeah. You know what I mean? And really vanishing into the role. Yeah, because he has some he has some lesser known films um, like Zulu, and there's another one called Retaliation that we had seen, mm-hmm. and and we could see like you know different gears in him. Obviously, and we're like, okay, great. So when he dug into the role of Cash, I mean, number one, he's sending us pictures of his facial hair. We're talking about that in the character development. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking about uh, Cash's physicality, right? Not only does he work on the farm. But he's also been muscle in the past, right? Mm-hmm. He's been an enforcer. So he's got to look intimidating. He's got to look capable. And then he's uh, like, what was I going to say? There was the clothes, the tattoos. It's just endless. No, it was, it was the, <laughs> uh, that was what it was, the dialect. He spent like three months getting the fucking dialect down. Yeah. So that he that nothing was going to sneak through on us. You know what I mean? And he would call us and do like test runs. All right, what do you think of this? And he'd read through the dialogue. I'm working on this, working on that. And he had like a dialogue coach for like three months just crushing, trying to crush the fucking dialect of that area, you know? And I remember even we were like running around recording uh, locals in in the yeah. area for him to hear, mm-hmm. you know, and give him various uh, degrees of the uh, the accent there. Mm-hmm. And then and then once he stepped into the – and the, so then he's got the voice, he's got the hair, he's got the physicality. But honestly, like then you, he steps into costume and he steps into hair and makeup and now you've got tattoos going on him that he and uh, Scott Hayes are like – you know, because they have a sort of like brotherly relationship that it's like, hey, well, we're going to get these, you know, tattoos in a similar spot. Like these, these, you know, once we, it, it was just really fun for them to map out the ink on their body. Yeah. And then, and then, man, the, the greasy hair was such a like critical <laughs> part of that character. And like everybody on set, there was like, yeah, they all wanted oh just God. that kind of long Southern greasy hair, yeah. that, you know, that that you see once in a while like um, bed head going down. And then, <laughs> yeah. and then when he stepped into the, the costume trailer, man, I, he came out in these boots and they were like for a metal worker, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. super heavy. Like, and they gave him this sort of like stride that was very like, I don't know. He, it, it, it just, it, it, it changed who the character was in a dramatic way Yeah, because he was in those for 95% of the movie. And so it, it added a certain gait and strut to yeah. the character yeah. that, that it didn't have before that he didn't have before. And once he put those boots on, he was just like, this is the fucking character. Yeah. And I remember Ian and I were like, Oh wow. That's, those are pretty heavy, man. Are you going to be good wearing those the entire film? And he's like, Oh no, this is cash. <laughs> I'm like, okay. And then like he was strutting around. We're like, that is cash. That is funny. <laughs> you know, and like the backwards hat and all the like little accessories that he you was could just t- you could just we could just tell how much work he had put into the character and even how he moved and looked and, and felt. Like there was just so much thought put into it, you know? That's great, um, dude. Yeah, it was he, just, he really worked his ass off on it. And, he, and, and he, you know, like, like every actor, right? They're pouring their own personal little details in there, right? When I'm like, oh, what's the, you know, the number on his arm is his favorite number, sure, right? And he's sure. got other things on his, in the ink that, 
that, that are very, uh, personal, you know, to, personal him, yeah. to him, you know, and like what he thinks is informing the character in a lot of ways. Sure. I mean, I remember he told us during that two hour conversation so many years ago that he, he had a real gift for throwing pots and pottery. And it was just <laughs> something he discovered out of the left field. And, uh, and we were like, no kidding. He's like, yeah, man, it's, it's, it's weird. I just took this class and I could instantly do it. And then they were throwing my pots up as like an example for the entire class to look at, you know, the entire foundation. Uh, and so we were like, oh, that'd be fun to like make cash a little bit of a craftsman. So we put that like woodworking scene in there, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. I love that stuff, man. That's the, that's the texture that excites me in movies. That's the texture that excites me as a storyteller, right? It's like, I, I've said this multiple times and I'll say it again on the show. My favorite part of a movie is the first two minutes of a film because it's like going to a stranger's house and you just oh, yeah. you're walking in and you're examining everything at face value and you're like, why would they paint the walls this color? Why does it smell like chicken soup in here? And what, what the fuck is this? <laughs> you know, I, I love that about movie making and I feel like one of my favorite things to do with all my characters is similar to what you guys are talking about is texturing these characters with their wardrobe and texturing these characters with all this visual aesthetic first. So that way the audience can make a judgment on them and whether or not you're going to curve into that judgment or you're going to work against that judgment, it's so much fucking fun to do. And if you find, especially like a, a big name actor that is willing to go into that and get dirty with you. That's a fucking blessing when it comes to that, man. Well, then I'll say that's like almost a prerequisite for us. Like that's in, in our conversations with actors, you know, you get it, you get a, we do try to prepare them for yeah, what they have Yeah, you know, for, it's right? like, hey, we're looking for total immersion here. Yeah. You know, yeah. like we're, you know, we're not looking to like hand you a kit as you walk on set and you're good to go, right? <laughs> like that's, it excites us when someone's like bringing ideas right away. And that, and for everybody in this movie, that's what they do, right? That's what they did in all of our movies. Like that's a, that's something we cherish and that we're really looking for. Well, and that's the texture that you feel when you watch your films. And I love that about them. Like that's, and I think that's something that's kind of overlooked, right? Because we're in a content creation period, right? And so a lot of the edges get sort of lost and a lot of the details get lost because of time and money and everything else that's involved. And there's something really nice in the artistry of building these characters, uh, at least visually first, the way they move, how their silhouette looks. Like all that stuff is incredibly important to me, you know? Yeah, when you jump into that editing process too, right? I mean, there's a lot of work that you're doing with your camera as you're sort of panning over things or moving through things. And like, I remember even the, let's say just the beginning of this movie, we had these wonderful shots that Johnny had put together with Orlando smoking a cigarette in the, in the beginning of the movie. And we were theorizing, oh, we'll run the credits over him smoking the cigarette in the morning. You'll get to know him. You get to hang out with him mm -hmm. and these beautiful silhouetted shots. But of course, you know, when you get in the editing room and you realize how much of that you need or how much of that feels right, it was less than what what is in the movie right now. Mm. Or it was we we wanted we we thought maybe more of it would would work, but then you know you go through the process of screening with people and you're like, oh man, okay, we need less of that because you know like we're running our credits a little earlier. Like things just change in that editing process so much that yeah. there are those wonderful character things that you got to either figure out how to get in there in a shorter amount of time, and I, I think we did. You know, to our to our satisfaction, we got it in there, um, but there was. There's just, you've got so much great work you can do, but you also have to try to find in that edit a way to move through it in an economical way that you're not just fucking yeah. masturbating. Yeah, exa exactly. <laughs> I mean, look, I mean exactly. what we shot was like almost like a short film in itself. And it's like, true, but yeah. I will say like through that shooting, 
we put together something. It really informed yeah. Orlando on his character because oh, yeah. he was like rolling cigarettes and like had to pick <laughs> out a bunch of accessories. Like there was just a bunch that when it was involved in it. So later, you know, on when he's like rolling his cigarettes, he has all that technique there already down for the character. So cool. And the workout montage that we had in there, like we had a little bit more to that too. And obviously we needed a little bit less than what we shot, but there were some fun things in there too that I hated to lose, but you just, you also have to be like we were saying economical, you know, you want to end up with a 20 minute workout montage <laughs> on the fucking porch. <laughs> yeah. Right. 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 Cause you're just cause you're fascinated with something doesn't necessarily mean the audience is going to be as fascinated. Right. Or that you think it's really fun. Well, it's fun yeah. for about, you know, a minute and a half or 30 seconds or whatever. It's not, yeah. it's not fun for uh, five minutes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 It takes you time. That's just time in the game, learning that, right. You, t- you just yep. go through yeah. the process of screening for enough folks and you sit there and you go like, Wow, uh, that was me being overly masturbatory on this thing. Like, <laughs> and you can't hide from it when yeah. you're screening it in a room of people. Like, it, it, and it's not like people all look at you and go, "This sucks." You just feel it when you're in that room. And you go, "Oh, I made a huge yeah. mistake with this." But dude, like, you just never know when those indulgences are going to work because you do them, I and sometimes they work masterfully. Like, right? like when PTA yeah. is just sitting there on Tom Jane, yeah. and you're like, "This is crazy." Like, I'm just going to watch Tom Jane, like. Or you're watching Mark, Mark Wahlberg. That's right. It's Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, yeah. yeah with Tom Mark Jane. Wahlberg watched yeah. that. Well, Mark Wahlberg's watching the firecrackers go off, and he just kind of drifts off into this yes, weird, yes, exactly that moment. staring moment, and he holds on it, and it's like fucking, three and a half minutes. Or it couldn't crazy be thing. more interesting. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you're looking. Like sometimes you get lightning in a bottle with those moments, and then other times you're like, "Yep, watching this guy walk down the driveway for three minutes is not interesting." Probably cut it down to at least a minute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? It's crazy, and it, like. Those are those are like my favorite parts of fucking movies, man. So those are the things that you're always like hunting for and trying to trying to find and and, and do correctly. And if you can do them, totally like, agree. Fuck, man, they're so good. Yeah, and I I think I think you know what we try to give ourselves is a liberty to fail, right? Yeah. We think of a bunch of stuff we think might be really cool. We shoot the shit out of it, give ourselves an out in some way of like, okay, well, hey, if this doesn't come off as cool as we hope it does. Mm-hmm. We can just move past it like this, or we can just use a little bit of it or whatever, you know? But I think you need to give yourself that liberty to fail and be confident to try it because you'll never find those moments if you're not out there aggressively going after them. Yeah. And if you're doing the, if you're doing the Hitchcock thing and you're just shooting the boards, which was like my first movie, you're just going through the, the fucking process yeah. of it. You're just like, I'm bored, you know? And then when you're done with it, you're it like, boring. it's kind of fucking boring to watch too. Fuck. All right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, no, the exploring, the, the exploring and finding shit uh, adds an excitement, adds that energy, that electricity to, to the moment in the scene. But there, there are some actors that you're like, hey, you know, like, here we go. I got the boards like, great. And then like, they'll, they'll walk over to the spot, right? And they're like, where do you want me to stand exactly? You're like, right there. Like, great. What lens are you on? Like this. Great. Where do you want me to look? Great. When do you want me to look there? That part, right. Okay, got it. And, and, it, goes, and it looks amazing. masterful. And, and you're like, amazing. that's insane that you can make that look completely organic and natural. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Craftsman at that point. Crazy craftsman. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's wild, man. I've, like, I've spent so much time editing, and I find that when I do cut, I'm always looking for, like I'm, I'm always scrubbing through sequences or scenes looking for that one fascinating thing that I then build backwards on. Because I'm, I'm looking for that, that nugget. And there was a period where, you know, my fiance Gina does a lot of uh, photography and directing work as well. And she got to work with uh, Robert Pattinson for the GQ shoot where they were trying to redefine him. Right. It was right before Batman. So they were trying to go from like diamond crusted vampire to, you know, like deep and brooding Bruce Wayne. 
And that was a big shoot. Like it was a whole lot of work that went into redefining that individual. And I was cutting all of the video content with him afterwards. And I watched him get into this character and he got into this mode where he was just doing this stuff. And he was, it was completely, one could look at it and say, this is very sort of like a masturbatory kind of thing that he's, that he's doing. But I scrubbed through that footage and I went, I like the way he moves his hips here. And I like to like his shoulder play here. Let me build this thing out backwards. And then based upon what he did there, I'm like, let's put animal noises behind. And so all of that became this really fucking cool character that was just from him playing in that moment and hunting for something in that moment. And that's not something you could plan for. It's not something you storyboard and write like, you know, Robert stands here, you know, and stand in front of the camera. Yeah, but I feel like, to your to exactly what you're talking about, Mike. Like I feel like that's your job as the as the director slash editor, right? I mean, you have these actors in here, and they're giving you a thousand percent. And some you got someone like Pattinson who's giving you a ton of gold. Great, but I guarantee you, if you had held, because it just happens, right? I mean, he's trying to give you a bunch of different looks and a bunch of different tidbits to fit into this moment into this persona he's after. Yeah. But it's also like you get into some moments in a movie. And you can see at some point, right, like, okay, that doesn't fit into the narrative that the actor or I want to portray in this movie. So we're going to cut right before that starts to happen. Yeah, or we're going to cut right. right before that momentary break or whatever. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't work for the scene or whatever. And that's totally the, the, that's totally the foundation of the job, I feel like, is when you're in that editing room, you need to sit there and, you know, with your editor, or if you are the editor, go through and find every piece of gold. Because that's one thing we really try to do, right? Is like, even if it's, and just let's say working on this TV show, EDG, it has a it has a really everyone's doing great. It has a really cool aesthetic. James and Steven have done a really good job of building in like a style and an editing style uh, to the show that allows them if there is any moment that they feel is false mm -hmm. for the character of the moment, they can cut ahead mm -hmm. 10, 15, 20 frames and they set that up very early on with the pilot. You know, they wanted to be able to move. They wanted to be able to move. They wanted to be able to move pretty freely in the scenes, smart, you know, and, and, and it was done with a bunch of really cool montages in the pilot. But here we are in the second season and you just see them directing and editing um, in such a way that you're, you're able to sort of craft um, the performance that everybody wants out of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. That you can move past these moments and find these moments that where they're locked in and where they feel they're locked in and where the audience can feel they're locked in and be able to get rid of all the garbage that, that, that they don't feel like is, is a hundred percent where they want it to be. You know, we are in like an interesting time for editing, right? Because the, the development of the language of editing has been pretty intense, right? So you go from like sure. classic cinema prior to digital film, prior to digital editing or nonlinear editing and you're on a steam back and it was like, you know, if you're going to take three frames out of this fucking thing, it's a nightmare. You know what I mean? And then yeah. you get into MTV, right? You get into the MTV generation, which is like super fast cutting, very montage-y, very slick, ba -ba 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 bang, bang. And then now we're in this world of uh, TikTok and all this other shit where like you've you've you're literally watching a screen with like five videos on it at the fucking same time and somehow <laughs> these kids are like able to you know stay on point with it all and it really opens us up as uh as filmmakers with the language of editing to do a lot of crazy shit the audience kind of goes with it which is awesome i think you know 
Yeah, they'll, they'll pretty much take anything at this point. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know what I'm like, yep, that makes sense. You know, if, it's, if there's any trace of coherence, but, but I think that that can also be we can use that we can use that as an advantage, yeah. right? I mean, that as things change, like you're saying, Mike, it's almost like uh, everything kind of is loosening up to where it's almost any any like, and as as you're saying, any coherent structure that you start to kind of come up with. Uh, is going to be acceptable as long as it's telling a good story and has good characters. In it, yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's very true. I always love that old Ridley Scott saying when they were talking about, you know, he was lighting for Blade Runner and he's lighting uh, the boss's room there, uh, Tyrell's office. And he was talking to his gaffer and he's like, I think we should do water reflections on the, on the, on the walls in this space. And the gaffer was like, why? There's no water here. Like, it doesn't make any sense. And really was like, it makes sense because I fucking says it. I say it does. That's why I want to do it. And he was right, man. You sort of set the tone with an audience. You could set the tone. And as long as you follow through on that tone, they'll go for the ride with you. Uh, yeah, man. Even in even in like looks of films, right? I mean, really, stuff has such a nice look to it. Well, and, but like thematically, that movie's like sopping wet. Yeah, so yeah. it makes sense, you know, the whole time. Sure. It's true. I mean, looking oh, at man. it backwards, it does. But in the scene, <laughs> and actually, <laughs> and actually shooting that right. sequence, I'm sure the gaffer was like, "This guy's out of his fucking mind." <laughs> Is there a koi pond in the middle of the room? What are we doing here? Yeah, yeah. I I mean, what's my motivation? Uh, just put the light on it. <laughs> That's your motivation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's funny, man. Uh, I love talking to you guys, man. Every time we talk, we get nerdy, and I have such a good fucking time talking to you guys, dude. It's likewise, brother. It's fun going down those rabbit holes. Yeah, man. Well, I'm like, I mean, I, like we were just saying, like we don't get enough of this in our lives anymore. You know, when we first moved into town, we had a group of, of people that would all gather up and we would drink a bunch of cheap beer and talk movies, just like this. Yeah, you know. Yep. And it was living, man. That like we that was formative years, and uh, and I was telling you, I go, man, I feel like we really have been missing that since we, uh, you know. I, I don't know, tur- like turned pro, I guess you, say I, you know what I'm saying? Like you just like, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. well, what happens I think is that you start, you start spending a lot more time, you know, aggressively creating, which takes away the time and they're aggressive. Our friends, our friends that we used to sit around and pontificate and grouse and get excited with are now doing their own shit too. So then you get kids, then you get a family, then you're trying to like balance all that. And then everyone else gets a kids and family and they're working and they're all trying to balance all that. Some people move away. And then all of a sudden your whole, your little group that you had is in 25 different places and you're not sitting down and doing the things that got you kind of, you know, like you, you got it, your motor running. Yeah. Get you, get you juiced up, man. It's such a critical part of this, uh, yeah. of, of this art that we're out it here really trying is. to make. It really is because I, sitting around just talking with our friends, like has spawned so many cool ideas, projects, collaborative projects, um, you know, between all of us, yeah, kinda, then, you can kind of like shake off the malaise a little bit, man, because this thing <laughs> this, it can beat you down a little bit. You know? Dude, a hundred percent. I, I, I need it now. I'm, I'm now in a position where I'm like the value that comes from me, not just doing this podcast, because this podcast is such a great opportunity for me to talk to anybody and be like, Holy fuck. And that's how the, and the inspiration that I feel after I do an episode is always really great. But then just making sure that I'm surrounding myself with a lot of younger talent and a lot of young folks that are around me that are still incredibly passionate about stuff and that are passionate about a lot of things that I wouldn't give a second glance to like fucking TikTok. You know what I mean? Like passionate about like the new shit that I'm like, Oh, okay. Fascinating. So if you're into that, that means there's an entire audience that's into that specific kind of thing too. That's good to know. All right, great. Awesome. So, um, I, there's a huge value in your community and your buds and 
in beers and yeah. all of that. Yeah, stuff. and finding why they're passionate about it and what you can find to be passionate about it. Because like you're saying, like there's a whole generation of kids that that's what they grew up on. So it's like if you're out of touch with that and you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, there's cell phones now? I got to actually account for cell phones in movies? Yeah. This is crazy. What are you talking about? Because last two decades I've been making movies – it was just rotary phones. So now I got to deal with tel- cell phones. What the fuck? And then you don't have a cell phone aesthetic or an understanding of how that's really playing in in society. You seem out of fucking touch, unrealistic, fucking a fantasy of retro a- of of a, of a of a retro universe that used to exist. You know, yeah. like what do you mean it's modern day and nobody has? A, I don't see anybody with a cell phone. No yeah. one's recording this wild event that went on in front of them. And- yeah, 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 yeah. I remember. I remember the speaking of the cell phone thing. I think it was Fincher that first started doing it where he started to put the text as a graphic next to the person or the actor on the screen. Oh yeah. And it was like, wow, that's kind of fucking genius. Cause now not only am I watching the person respond to texting and I'm not just looking over their shoulder at their hand on a phone, but I'm now somehow drilled into the same sort of point of view that you would have as the person texting and, and waiting at bated breath to see whether or not they do you, put a period at the end of that sentence. <laughs> do you recall what movie that was that he started doing that? Because I, I will say the one I remember it most on that I was like, oh, shit, that's really fucking smart. And maybe he just took it from Fincher, but it was Favre's uh, Chef. Chef. Yeah, no. She, or the tweeting. Where he was tweeting and they were just popping up on the screen um, yeah. as you're saying, so that I could keep engaged with the movie and I wasn't just on some screen looking at it. It was always just popped up in the right-hand corner or popped up wherever it was un- unobtrusive. It was certainly done before that, but that one stands out for that me. That one yeah. stands out for me as like the first time I really noticed how well it was being done. I, f- I feel like I saw it first, maybe it was House of Cards. Maybe it was like uh, his gotcha. early House of Cards, yeah. which maybe it was We're that. Great. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's, it's. I just want to. I want to go back and look at it. So I'll, I'll, I'll dig around in there and see if I can find it. Yeah, I think maybe oh, it was like early episodes of House of Cards, and I, I think that show really stuck out because, it, you know, he's completely underlit on everything that he does in his stuff, and then like it's just the glow of the phone on someone's face, and then this graphic that comes up in sort of that black space, and you're like, oh, that was pretty smart, dude. That was a smart way to fucking do that. Yeah, yeah. and right, and like breaking convention, right? What a bold choice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you have you read uh, Peter Biskin's new book? No. Which what is the book? Uh, do, are you familiar with Peter Biskin? Have you read like Raging Bulls, Easy Riders, Raging Bulls, and Noah's Box? Yes, yeah. Easy Rider, Raging Bulls. Back in the day, I read that. It's been a long time. What's he's got another one? He's got another one right now based on the TV age, and it's like the golden, you know, the platinum. It really is a platinum age, not a gold age. Oh, interesting. <laughs> a platinum age of TV, and it goes all the way up to like you know two years ago or a year ago. So he's, he, he goes through from, I think it's like late nineties. I'd say it's like late nineties, maybe mid nineties TV all the way up to like now. Hmm. And it's just, he's talking about obviously everything you could think of, you know, like, I guess he goes back even further. Cause he, st- he talks, he talks about the start of HBO to give you reference for HBO now hmm. or hmm. The start of Showtime and how it was just kind of like sleazy content at first. <laughs> so was HBO. Yeah. Because that because that's all they could afford to put on there as they were trying to develop and change into somebody that had some original content that wasn't. You mean like the sexy content? Yes, yes. Yeah. yes. And but so the stuff they when were I was just, a kid that I thought sex was just two people rubbing their stomachs together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the early shit. But he, but he takes it all the way up through House of Cards and like you know, every, it's everything. It's it's fucking amazing. It's such a great book because. He does such a great job of 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 being 
a journalist as well as a, as a book writer. So he has all these like incredible stories he's dug up that I've never heard before or incredible insight from execs or filmmakers as those things, as those decisions were being made, uh, you know, what the, what the conflict was and why it was such a bold move at the time. So cool. And, Cause you're watching, you're watching these TV series pop up and you're like, Oh, I really like the show. It's so much different from everybody else, but you don't ever really hear how and why someone was willing to take a chance on something so different and why it innovated the industry and, and, and why that was a, a decision that somebody made to make in the industry. Because you're always like, oh, it's cool. Yeah, Game of Thrones is such a big deal. It's such Sopranos, possibly you know? Sopranos, yeah, the greatest yeah, yeah. TV show ever made or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But you're like, why did somebody take that chance? Who was the executive and what was the reasoning behind it? And how did they galvanize the entire network to get behind it? Those stories are so fucking interesting. Yeah, um, yeah. It's fucking, it's, it's like catnip, man. I can't get enough of it. I love that stuff. Yeah. I'll definitely check it out. Like, um, it was, uh, what was the series on fucking Paramount plus on the making of, uh, the Godfather? Um, Oh God. Oh, yeah. 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 That was pretty what good. What's it called? You went to- I, 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 I watched the first episode, but I mean, I thought the book, honestly, it's hard to beat. The Have book you read me. that book? No, Mike? I haven't read the book. So I just saw the, the show. Fucking book. If you liked the series, man, yeah. you will be in love with the book. I think the book. Is, is, is was able to go leave so the much. gun take the cannoli that's it yeah, <laughs> yeah. the book yeah, yeah. fantastic the book was fantastic uh, uh yeah it's just it's there's a bit of a tone discrepancy obviously between the book and the series for me that i i, I like that the may book, that may have i not appreciated as much as some people okay. uh, you know i think it, the problem it. is right got is it. that mike's going into it cold yep yeah yep. with a concept and an idea of things that he loved that are going to be talked about and is 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 wholeheartedly just accepting the tone that the filmmakers decided to play whereas you read the book get interested I've got to images watch. dancing in my you've brain. already got it set what yeah, you would have done with true. it how it's it plays true. in your head and then you yeah. watch somebody else's portrayal of it which is you know a little bit different and you're like that's not what i had in my head yeah you know? 100%. Well, I'm like, that's not the tone i thought well, I like it's your tone. I, I like your tone taste anyway. So I'm curious. I'll go and read the book. I just finished. What did I just finish listening to? Um, oh, I listened to uh, Heat Two, the new Michael Mann book. Oh wow! How is that? So fucking good. Oh my god! Oh, I gotta get it in. Oh right. my god! I've been debating. If you love Heat, <clears throat> and I know you guys, I'm sure have been inspired we by do. Heat. Uh, Undeniable. Undeniable. Dude. Dude. Like where it goes, I don't want to spoil anything. I'm not going to spoil anything. And these days, like I barely have time to read, read. So I'm usually listening to books while I'm like riding my bike or doing something. And they had a great voice actor do all the stuff for the audible. Um, And Jesus Christ, like you, you wish, because there's rumors that that he's going to make it, that it's supposedly going to be made and they're going to recast some people for it. But you really wish because the only spoiler I'll say is that it picks up with Val Kilmer's character right at the end of the first Heat movie. And it just goes. Dude, that's fucking amazing. It goes. All right. Yeah, dude. It's dude, great. I'm diving in. It's a great fucking read, man. I'm, I'm bummed that I'm done with it. It's a great read. Um, You're ready for three. Yeah. Dude, with, this, with these new AI advancements, Mike, we're going to get to Val and we're going to get everybody back. I mean, I right? think we just entered the, the book into the, the store of there and <laughs> spit out a movie. Let's see what happens. You just enter some keywords. Michael Mann, you know, uh, cinematic. <laughs> he too. You know, uh, uh, volumetric lighting. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, fellas, I, I got to cut this off just because of the timing, but um, cool. it's, a, it's a pleasure. Always a pleasure to talk to you guys. 
Uh, we're overdue to hang out and talk in real life and have beers and do this without an audience behind us. Um, and then we could talk for real. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, it just takes on another layer. It takes on another layer. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, congrats on Red Right Hand. Um, when, is it, when does that drop and where can people see it? <laughs> February 23rd, we're in select theaters uh, across the country. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, just get your, uh, you know, hit your app there about where your, f- your favorite theaters are and hopefully one pops up next to you. It's also playing day and date. So if you can't get out of the house, you're five kids and you want to watch something bloody and crazy and it, fun with a lot of hope at the end. It's, it's on all the major platforms. It's on all the major platforms. Well, dudes, congratulations on another great movie. And um, uh, you're always Dude, thank you very much. You're always welcome on the show. It's a pleasure to talk to the both of you. Can't wait to see you in person, Mike. Thanks again, man. Really appreciate you, man. Big love. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, guys. There it is. Episode in the can. Man, I love those guys. I love talking to those guys. They're great. Uh, I'm happy that they love to be on the show. I'm happy to know them. Uh, and they, they, they really give a shit, right? Like offline, full disclosure. They were like, what's going on with your movies, man? So like, it's nice to know dudes like that, man. It's nice to know that uh, there are people in this industry that care and they, you know, are willing to extend a hand and try to make things happen. Uh, love those guys. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Hope it gave you a bit more insight into how directing actually works. I am a big fan of pulling the veil off of everybody's eyes and sort of exposing the job for what it is, which is a lot of hard work, uh, a lot of humiliation, <laughs> a lot of depression, a lot of highs, a lot of lows. Um, and it's, uh, it's not as sexy as it sounds. And it's nice to hear the folks, the men and women that are in the trenches that do it because they love it. Um, and they stick with it. So uh, hopefully this gives you a bit of inspiration. Hopefully this gives you a bit of insight. Makes you think twice about doing something just based upon legend. You know what I mean? Um, and I uh, hope you guys love it. And stick around Thursday. Brand new episode. Right place, right time. Me and Lance. Go at it, man. I'm excited about our guests. We've already recorded eight episodes and every one of those episodes gets better and better and better. And I've seen the numbers, man. You guys are loving that show. Um, So uh, send us some love. If you love those episodes, if you love any episodes, repost them, post them up. You know, you can do that out of Spotify. You could just post to Instagrams, tell your friends to listen to our shows and we will stick around for you. Um, that's it, man. I'm going to leave you with another track, probably from Mitch Murder. And uh, big shout out always to our musicians, to the, to the songwriters, to the bands that donate their music to the show. Mitch Murder, we've been playing a lot of his stuff. And our buddy over uh, Code Electro, Martin from Code Electro. Love those guys. Um, whatever, man. I'm out of here. I'm out of here. I'll see you next Tuesday with another episode of In Love With The Process. I'll see you on Thursday with Lance in another episode of Right Place, Right Time.